man, I don't know how that strikes you, but, uh, you know, I will, I will confess that uh, my heart does not always run back to the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> when weeks get hard and circumstances happen, that's not always how my heart is conditioned. And uh, sometimes I run in an opposite direction. I run towards sort of this impatience and, and um, aggression that it's not Christ in me or it, it, it's something other. So it's really neat when worship kind of interrupts uh, you and kind of reveals some things in, in intimate places. Um, and uh, some of the challenges that I encountered this week, I would confess to you, my heart didn't always run back to God. Um, so it is good to be with you for lots of reasons. Um, thanks for tuning in at home. I know several of you are watching from home um, uh, for, for both uh, travel reasons as well as for health reasons. And we just want to welcome you here. Uh, for those of you viewing online, I want to say a couple of uh, words uh, <clears throat> because there's some beautiful moments that a lot of people don't get to experience. But I want to say thank you to Damaris. Uh, Damaris this last week spent his fourth week at summer camp. Um, so he has, he, <laughs> he has endured way too much camp food. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and here's the thing, three of the weeks this summer he was speaking at, but he totally took it upon himself to put together a camp for Mission Hills so that he could bring, um, was it five or six? Five kids to a, a wonderful week at camp. Now, I felt like that was something that I was praying about a lot this week. And, and in two weeks, you're going to get to hear a little bit more. And uh, we'll be posting some pictures for that. But, you know, that was just, a, a, we, we didn't have the most enthusiastic group. Um, uh, there was some parental um, leveraging going on um, to get out of the car and go on the van. Um, but the Lord prevailed. Uh, so it's not just me who doesn't run back to God. My heart wants to do all these other things, just like adolescence. Uh, and then um, a couple of other things I just want to highlight as, as we've been praying, but also want to encourage you to pray. Sonia, it's so good to see you tonight. I know, you know, she had uh, her uncle had unexpectedly lost his life in a car accident. We were praying for them. Uh, they're going to go. They've been going through the memorial process. He was a, a military veteran, but um, anyway, it's good to see you and have you both back uh, with us this evening. Want to continue to pray for Connie, uh, who's just having a hard time recovering. Connie, we love you. We can't wait for you to be back. Uh, but she is literally limping along, um, and and there's several health things going on. One of the things that I was praying a lot about was what last week would feel like. And Damaris opened up just saying we had a, a great time. We hosted as part of our lab because we don't want to just go to Sunday school, right? We want to experiment with what we think is true about God. So we talked about compassion as simply identifying needs that are different than our own and hospitality as this expression of faith that just makes room for others who we don't even know their needs, but we know that we're needy. Um, and we just had a wonderful crew step up, um, in, and in the Texas heat, Scott stood over charcoals and grilled a wonderful lunch. We had a couple of boat drivers that became like rock stars. There was one boy as we hosted this foster group home from Round Rock. 
Um, we had done some slip and slide and they'd been out and I was standing down by the dock and <clears throat> the boats were getting a little late getting back and their crew of about 12 or 13 kids, it was time to go. And the boats were running late and one of the older boys, I, I think he's about 16, he comes down and he had a very difficult look on his face and I said, Vincent, what's wrong? And he's like, well, man, I only got to go for 15 minutes and these guys are out there like for an hour. And I mean, it was, I, uh, oh shoot, and now we're out of time and we could have made more time, but they had to leave. And he catches himself because I'd already heard him talk about, I'm so glad we came when we're on the slip and slide. And the, the testimonies from being on the boat where I've never done this before. I mean, here we got teenagers who have never been in a, speedboat before, on a tube before, and, and he catches himself, this 16-year-old, because I go, well, well, you know, what's wrong? And he goes, no, but it's okay. I had a great day. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having us. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. This kid with all of his family trauma, this kid who does not have a mom and dad to go home to, this kid who's... <clears throat> been through the ringer of life could midstream full emotion stop and look at me because I was the guy that was on the slip and slide with him I was the guy kind of organized and realized no 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 this was a great day and I was like so I, I, I took that story and I emailed the leaders afterward I was like please please buy this kid an ice cream this week please single him out he, he won the award and so man if that, that's what labs are all about right because Man, I needed that. I, I needed that. Like, our needs are different, but I needed that, right? So, uh, we want to go ahead, and we are so thankful for Miss Jamie, uh, and we want to dismiss our kids with our blessing tonight. So, um, kids, we're counting on you. Huh? Uh, so, let's say it this way. The Lord bless you as you continue your worship. Already nailed it. Second time. A student. Lift up. All right. You guys can take off. Don't have too much fun without me because I'll feel bad like FOMO. Uh, <laughs> well, <clears throat> we have a set of neighbors that um, we met a couple of years into living because into living on our block. And these neighbors had been living abroad with three younger daughters. And they were in Southeast Asia in 2007. And if you remember what happened in Southeast Asia, there was a tsunami. Well, they were in Thailand vacationing in December for Christmas. And this wall of water comes in and it just, I mean, you've seen the footage, it just takes out the shoreline all up and down coast of Southeast Asia. I mean, countries were being destroyed, people were being displaced lives were being lost and there was there was hardly an escaping it and then he told me he says for three days we didn't know where our girls were what now there's that moment that you might have in the grocery store where you're like where's my kid and he's like one aisle away you you might be that kid that wasn't like clingy and then you finally wandered off and you're like i should probably find my mom uh 
three days, you don't know where your three girls are, and you don't know if they're alive. The question I'm asking is, what are you thinking about for those three days? Because I know you're not sleeping at night. What's racing through your mind? I mean, sure, when you finally get to get reacquainted because they started posting like lists of survivors and names and because they weren't the only ones that had lost family members. I remember you guys, Bill, were, were vacationing somewhere and Billy, who was an EMT at the time, just picked up his backpack and took off feeling like I could help. I could do something. But if you're a parent there, if you've got family there and you guys don't even know where each other are, if you're even alive, what are you thinking about? Well, when you see each other, you're not, you're not thinking about um, your 401k. You're not thinking about a little more square footage. You're not thinking about if my kid would get better at picking up his room or if my husband could help with the laundry. All you're experiencing in that moment is the unadulterated, unfiltered beauty Because in the meantime, before like lost and found, there's a whole lot of dilemma. There's a whole lot of struggle. There's a whole lot of anxiety. There's a whole lot of hell on earth. Now, that's unimaginable, but we all have touch points with what that might feel like. But we also are aware of those reconvening moments those rediscovery moments, those redeeming moments, those reconciling moments, where somehow, in some way, God sort of knits and weaves together this divine tapestry and puts the pieces back together. And, and the, um, the reason I, I, I tell you that story is because over this summer, we have been going through the life of Joseph. And Joseph's life was, was filled with promise, and yet it became a, from promise to becoming a slave and then a prisoner. Then he goes back to becoming like top man, savior of Egypt and all creation because of his organizational strategy and planning ability. And then he becomes the reconciler of his family. We all have moments that feel like hell on earth. We all have moments that feel like they're heaven on earth. Exactly what God intended. And what I'm saying is this. The one unmistakable thing that we can't ever avoid is the struggle. And the one thing we un have to understand if we're going to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is this. God's in the struggle. And the whole summer, we've been spending on this idea of what is our theology for plan B? Because I've got this plan A in mind, and most times it doesn't work out, and I get upset. And my heart doesn't run back to God. My heart runs, and my, 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 I get this low-grade boil, and sometimes it boils over. God is found and is near and is in the midst and cares about the struggle. So if I'm without my kid for three days, don't know where they are or if they're alive, 
I'm struggling, but I have to walk in what's true. Does God see? Yep. Will I abandon him just because I'm not getting my way? No, but I sure wish he'd show up. The point is, God sees too. And there's a whole lot of things that God never ordains, never plans for, but he's still a part of it. So there is this moment after we've seen this arc of Joseph's life, he's done all of these things and he goes back to his dad. His dad who once thought that he was dead. His dad is Jacob who goes through a name change that we're going to talk about. But he goes to Jacob, one of the patriarchs in all of Israel. Remember the story? Abraham, father Abraham had many sons. There's this, I am going to make you a father of many nations. Except he was kind of shooting blanks. He was barren. She was barren. Kids weren't coming. It was a 25-year delayed promise before he has a son that God intended. And then you get to Isaac. And then you get to Jacob. And now here we have Joseph. So we have this sense that God is trying to do something in fulfilling his promise. But Jacob who knows the promises of Father Abraham, is now on his deathbed. And the thing you need to understand about is on his deathbed, he's wondering if his promise is going to come to fruition. Because what's real is the the greatest sense of um, accomplishment in life is your name and your lineage. And he's fulfilling the promise of Father Isaac and Father Abraham. And now this is supposed to be the father of many nations. He's living with this promise amidst a severe drought, famine, drought, that's going to potentially wipe out his whole legacy. And he's on his deathbed. It said that he was not doing well, so Joseph grabs his two sons that he's had, and he runs back home to meet them. And they have this encounter, and in verse 11 of chapter 48, it says, Then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face again, but now God has let me even see your children too. Finding God in the unexpected places of struggle. Where's God when things don't work out? Where's God when we find ourselves? I'm saying God's in the struggle. And here. Jacob, even though he's been promised. Here, Joseph, even though he's been promised hope in a future. Here we see God showing up in the struggle. And I want to just make a couple of points tonight. And if you're uh, following along at home, you want to fire open your app, I want to encourage you to maybe open up your Bibles as well. Because there's um, some passages that aren't going to be on the screen that I just want to highlight. But in, in first when we get to 48, Genesis 48, we read these words, and the first point that I would like to make is we can find God in our current struggle, whatever you've linked in here with tonight, we can find God in our current struggle because of the nature of hope and God's promise that's already been spoken. And I want to have a faith that's deeper and more rooted than my circumstances, because I believe God transcends life's challenges. And so when we can start to get our brain around that, we can start to find God even in the midst of struggle. But he says these words in Genesis 48, verses 3 and 4. It's on the screen. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. Remember, that was the promised land. 
and he blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply your descendants. I will make you a multitude of nations and I will give you this land of Canaan to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. So like his son, Jacob lives with this promise of this fruitful and vast family lineage. And the greatest blessing was this family line and here it stands in jeopardy. So the first thing I would might mention is that life feels like it's full of famine. We don't think of that necessarily because no one here is hungry, but we go through droughts. We go through times where it feels like a famine of intimacy. It feels like a, a famine of being misunderstood or, or being understood. It feels like a famine where we feel like um, peace or comfort or rest don't feel readily available. And the only way we can find God in the struggle, despite how we feel, is believing that God's word is true even when I don't feel like it. There is something absolute that's unchanging. And it's, and it's God's presence, his Holy Spirit, and, and his word. What we begin to see, and I want to show you, and I hope I can do this justice, there was so many layers that I, I was just trying to edit out and get down, distill this down. But the second piece is we can also find God in a past struggle. And what we see in the history of Jacob's story is a kind of grace. So a lot of people live with shame, with fear, with regret. They grew up with abuse. And there's things that we can't not remember. And what I'm saying is, is whatever story you walked in here tonight, the grace of God is so sufficient, so redemptive, so healing, that you can still find God anew. Now this in chapter 49, and it's a long passage, and I would encourage you, to open up your Bible at some point and read this in its entirety. But I just want to highlight a couple of things because this is known as Jacob's, sort of um, the blessing of Jacob, but it does not sound prosperous. Typically you think, I'm going to bless you with my words and there's going to be something sort of nice. And what Jacob says, these are actually his final words, like, I'm about to die, and I'm going to say what I'm really thinking. He's going to pass on the blessing, but it doesn't always sound very sweet. So he mixes in like a truth bomb here to his sons, who are kind of gathering around dad, who's about to take his last breath. And in chapter 49, listen to a couple of the things that he begins to say in this. He revisits many of their past transgressions as if saying to them, you guys were jerks. You guys were idiots. But you're still not disqualified. And God, through me, through you, is going to do what God is going to do, even though you act like idiots. Come on now. That has to be encouraging for the rest of us. So just let me just highlight a couple of things. These aren't on the screen, but in verse 49... He starts with Reuben. Reuben was the oldest. There was 12 sons. 12 is a really important number. We have the 12 disciples. We have, there was 12 loaves 
of fish and bread left over from the feeding of 5,000, numbers are really important. And you have 12 sons, which are going to become the 12 tribes of Israel, which are going to become part of a larger people group. And we're going to talk about that. But you've got 12 sons. He names Reuben, and he goes, oh, Reuben, my oldest. Now, he's got multiple wives, so there's that going on. So we know that Jacob, even though God is behind him, he hasn't chosen what God would have chosen. And God's grace is still enough. God's grace is still going to be sufficient to do his work. And he starts with him, and he goes, assemble and listen. All you sons of Jacob, listen to Father Israel. So Jacob has gone through a name change, Israel, of which the nation will be named. And he says, Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters. My son is like a flood. Has anyone's house been flooded? Has anyone's toilets overflowed? You don't want water to run where you don't want water to be. And, and he's calling him, you're turbulent as the waters. You will no longer excel, for you went up onto my, into my father's bed, onto my couch, and you defiled it. What did he do? He commits adultery on his father's bed. But my grace is sufficient for you. And he goes on. He starts calling out the next one. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and have hamstrung oxen as they please. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and the fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. This is the blessing. If this is the blessing, I don't want to know the curse. Right? This is nuts. But God's speaking through Jacob about the future of things to come. And there is this account, like, I saw what transpired. But here's where it gets to start. I mean, he, he goes through all of them. They're not all terrible, but he starts to speak blessings and, and, and prosperity also. I won't keep reading all of them, but they're fascinating that these are his last words. This is the blessing of Jacob. But my point is this, is that we can not only find God in our current struggle, we can also find God in the past chapters of regret and remorse. We don't have to live with the story of shame and fear and regret. And this is what's being restored. Because God was always from the beginning trying to set apart a person, Abraham, who would become a family. And that family would become a tribe. And what do tribes grow into? They grow into cities. And what do cities grow into? They grow into nations. And what do nations do? They expand around the world. And so this is what I think that is so amazing is because people often talk about, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I like the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is so full of wrath I like the God of mercy and grace. And I'm saying, don't miss the gracious act of God rewriting a story saying, even though you're vile and violent, you're not disqualified from building my kingdom on earth. Were Jacob's sons good guys? Did they deserve to be blessed 
as families, as tribes. See, we're, their story is actually our story. Uh, they weren't supposed to have, but that's the way God works. And I would say it this way. We're every bit the antagonist as the sons are, but God is gracious with us because he often spares us from what we might otherwise deserve or have earned. And so this is where the history comes to be really interesting, at least to me, because when we understand that people grow into families and families grow into tribes and tribes grow into cities and, and those people go around the world, this is what happens, is that fast forward from this point, they start growing. They come from the land of Canaan and they come down because of the famine and there's roughly like 75 people, but then they start doing what families do and growing to the point where Pharaoh comes along and they've become so numerous in Egypt that Pharaoh is getting nervous because there's more Israelites than Egyptians and that's when he puts them into slavery. Oh, that people group is outgrowing my people group. What do I do? I oppress them and I put them into bondage and, and, and slavery. So that's basically what we get at the start of Exodus. Remember, we're, in, we're right now talking about Genesis 49. In two weeks, we're going to finish with Genesis 50. Then it goes into Exodus 1. Exodus 1 is basically, they become too populous. Pharaoh's like, dang, we got to do some crowd control here. We can't do eugenics and like manipulate it, so let's just enslave them all. The whole people group. Then you get kind of Exodus 5 through 15. Moses comes along as the new deliverer. There's about 400 years that pass. God hears the cry of the oppressed. Moses comes along and he's like, follow me. Let my people go. Parts the sea and they take off. And what should have been a direct shot took 40 years of wandering in the desert. But that's what we get 5 through 15 of the book of Exodus. And then you get 19 through about, oh, 31. And the people of God finally arrive at Mount Sinai where God brings Moses on the hill, sends him down with 10 commandments. And there's this beautiful picture, this metaphor of a covenant, of a marriage. I will be your God and you will be my people. See, these 12 brothers became the 12 tribes. And even in slavery in Egypt, they maintained their tribal identity of Israel. When they came out of that, they still had this unique subset of identity. They were the people of God. They were all Israelites, but they were part of 12 tribes. Fascinating. Because now what we had is the 12 tribes of Israel comes from these 12 sons. And this is where the name change is significant. If you look back, Jacob has a wrestling match. He's known. You know what his name literally meant? Deceiver. He stole his birthright from his brother, which means he gets the majority of the inheritance. I mean, he was a snake. And he has this breaking point, literally and spiritually, where he wrestles with God all night. They said an angel appeared, and he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. All night long, by morning, he touches him in, the, in this part, and he has this hip socket, all the significance around that, but he breaks him physically, and then he recognizes this. You no longer will be Jacob. God does this new naming. You will be Israel. What does the name Israel mean? Struggle with God. 
You spend all night wrestling with God. And some of you came in here because you've been wrestling with God. Where is your faithfulness, Lord? How, how could you allow this to happen, God? God, where are you when? Why don't you do? And what I'm saying is, is God is not disqualifying you for the wrestling match. But as one person said, you ought to doubt your doubts. Because there's something that God wants to redeem and restore and repair about all of our stories. And when you look at what one man did to grow into a family, to grow into a tribe, to grow into a, a city, to grow into a nation, we are part of the exact thing. Because what would happen is these 12 tribes would be 12 geographic regions around the world. Why? To be a light New Testament comes along and we are built on these 12 tribes. See, when you get to the book of Acts and this New Testament, like we wanted to start a New Testament church called Mission Hills. We came from a spiritual lineage, a spiritual ancestry of guys like Reuben and Simeon and all of these others that basically disqualified themselves from what God said, my grace is sufficient for you. God can be found in the struggle. And I needed to hear that. I needed to study that as much as anyone. And when God goes through this wrestling match with Jacob, he changes his name and he, it's like giving you a new identity. You are no longer going to be the deceiver. You're no longer going to be the abused victim. You're no longer going to be the resentful whatever. You're no longer going to be the greedy whatever. You are now my beloved. And I'm going to rename you because the struggle, the struggle is real. And if you call yourself a Christian, welcome to the struggle. Because it often doesn't feel like it adds up. There's a story about uh, a man by the name of Ellie uh, Weissel. He was born Eliezer Weissel, and he died at about 83 years old in 2016, so he's born in 1928-ish or so. And um, he was a Romanian-born, um, he was a professor, um, he was an activist, what I'd like to call an advocate, but he wrote in French and English 57 books in his lifetime, including one called Night, which chronicled his accounts of being in two different Jewish concentration camps during World War II, Auschwitz being one of them. And he ends up coming to America, and you know, he's a professor, and he's teaching all of this, and, and doing all of this work. He was a professor of humanities at Boston University, um, but he was involved with Jewish human rights um, and worked with and is responsible for what is now the U.S. Museum uh, in Washington, uh, Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. But that wasn't enough for him because it wasn't about me and mine. It wasn't about my people, my skin color, my whatever. He began to advocate for other people who had been oppressed people. So if you came from the Sudan, if you came from Kosovo, if, if you came from Nicaragua, uh, if, if you came from uh, uh, places like South Africa and apartheid, he was the biggest advocate so that in 1986, he get, uh, gets awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. And this is what the committee who awarded it said to him. He says the committee called him 
a messenger to mankind, stating that Weissel has delivered a message of peace, atonement, and human dignity. See, what Weissel understood was that he never relaxed on the idea that it was enough to survive and just educate the people around him. But instead, he wanted to advocate for other issues that might have no impact or an effect on his own personal life. He could not sit idly by while other people were oppressed. He went and found the struggle. This is what it means to be invited into the, as one of the people of God. There are fights that we need to fight. And I would say that people are, are getting so angry at the wrong stuff. Some people are they're looking for a fight because they're not in one. And there's this righteous kind of calling that we're invited into even as flawed people. And, and, and so it's, it's so human nature to want to avoid the tension, avoid the struggle. And what God is saying is, no, no, no. My kingdom comes in the midst of the struggle. And this is the kind of struggle that I think makes life worth living. This is, this is the kind of struggle that I think is even worth pursuing. See, the 12 tribes isn't just some cultural identity or a rebranding of a nation. It's we're speaking of people who actually being in community in 12 geographical areas around the world that become the New Testament church that become Mission Hills Church. It wasn't enough for him to just educate. It wasn't enough for, for, for him to just, you know, kind of have his own story repaired. No, no. It was a chance to stand in the gap and go for others. So tonight, as we begin to wrap up, I want to encourage you that whatever your struggle is, whatever your wrestling match is, I'm simply suggesting that God's in it. God's in the current struggle, but we can certainly find God in the past struggle. And what that means for today is my grace is sufficient for you, and there is redemption for whatever you're dealing with. And so tonight, we're going to have a time where we're going to worship, and then we're going to go into communion. But as part of the, 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 the kind of communion experience that we'll get to in a minute, I want you to understand that communion, man, communion is a reminder that the struggle is real. You don't get Christ without the struggle. You don't get resurrection without the struggle. And so this is like God saying, I'm with you in the struggle. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I'm reminded of your love. That's not always my first thought, but I am reminded that you're in the struggle. And maybe the struggle becomes so real so that we can be reminded that you're near. Not that you're against us, but that you're near. And maybe our, our knee-jerk reaction needs to be more of you, not less of you. I pray for my friends that are gathered tonight, for those who have come limping in, who are carrying the baggage of... Uh, of their childhood or of their present marriage. I pray that your grace would be sufficient and in the midst of the muck, you would bring your healing, your restoration, where we could exchange a little heaven on earth for the hell that we wade into daily. Lord, 
this blessing that was spoken feels almost autobiographical. And the beauty of your grace is that it does not have to be the final word. So help us in this moment to have a transcendent experience with your Holy Spirit that says, I'm with you and you're with me. It's good and I got this. Help us to hear from you as we sing this blessing. May your presence not depart from us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.